Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. I'd like to welcome you here. My name is Pastor Dale DeMell. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is summer. Yeah, this part over here is excited about it. I don't know about the rest of you today. Some, <laughs> some of you are trying, getting excited. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. It already is. And uh, next thing you know, we're going to have the Minnesota State Fair. How many of you ready for that? Okay, a couple of you. A couple of you, that's when we brag about uh, the type of awful food that we put in our body, um, and it's exciting, and, uh, and that's what we do here in Minnesota, and then we get uh, geared up and ready for fall, and then the Minnesota winter, right? So let's enjoy where we are right now, let's enjoy summer, and uh, while we do that, last week we... Um, titled the sermon, Rediscover, or Rediscover the Cross. And uh, with Rediscovering the Cross, what, what I mean by rediscover is that for, for some, it's, it's that intention of coming back to where it all began for us as believers, is at the cross. And so many times we forget, and, and when we read what uh, Jesus said to John in Revelation 2, he, he was talking to the people of Ephesus, and he, he talked about all of these remarkable things the church was doing. And I, and I think of that here at Life Assembly. There is incredible things going on. There are people doing amazing things, and they're serving and doing the best that they can. But in that, Jesus said, but this I have against you, you've lost your first love. And that, every time I read that, I, I go, Lord, is that me? And, and that, that is what the purpose of these letters are for, is Lord, is that me? And so last week we addressed that. Have we lost our first love? Has, has uh, the love of Christ potentially gone cold? So we can do the right things, we can do the good things, we can go in the motions but still lose the focus, which is why that song is so impacting for us. I exalt thee. It brings us right back to the cross and what Christ has done for us. Amen? The cross is either our barrier or an entry point. And so the question last week we ended on is, which is it for you? Is the cross your barrier or is the cross your entry point? And so today, um, you could just put up that graphic for me, please, uh, Travis, is we are rediscovering purpose. Rediscovering purpose. So for some, this might be for the first time discovering it, going, you know, I didn't even realize that my purpose should be found in Christ. And for others, it may be, wow, I have, I've, I'm out of whack. I have put my identity, I have put my purpose in things that I do or people that I'm in relationship with over the purpose that who I was created to be. And, you know, the, the funny thing about purpose is that um, it, it changes, and it changes often. I think that's why it can be really difficult for us when, when things that we did well or parts of our stages of our life that we really felt like we had things together, and then it changes, and it, it's really, um, it, it's frustrating, it, it's hard, and, and honestly, it's kind of traumatic when big change happens, because then we're trying to rediscover ourselves and purpose, what does it mean, and where I'm at in my stage of life, 
Uh, how, how do I go about this? And so we're really going to be looking at two questions. Is, uh, one, um, our purpose in life in general. What is our purpose? What were we created for? What were we created to be? And then secondly, is our purpose in life when we feel as though we don't have any or when somehow we've, we've missed it. And so we have different stages, obviously babies. I mean, they're literally depending on you for survival, right? I mean, you can look at, at a baby and you're like, man, if I mess this up, they're a goner. <laughs> right? So, I mean, so many, the purpose is in that. I, I am trying to keep you alive. And then they become toddlers. And then you think they're for sure a goner. I, I'm not kidding. I mean, I remember I called my mom one time, and I, I, we were living in Hutchinson at the time, and we had this, um, just kind of like this middle island thing, and it, it was enough for two seats, to, two stools to go on. And Asher, our youngest, if you see him, he looks like he's 16, 17. He's 14, and he's wearing size 13 shoes, or bigger. I don't even know at this point. He's so far past me. And he, <laughs> he would sit on, on a chair... And his head was so big that any motion, any wind that potentially came would, would start. And you see I'm rocking back and forth because this is what it was really like. And all of a sudden, any direction, it got too far over. And it was just, he was a goner. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, Asher is not going to survive. He's not, there's no way that he's going to survive. And first she was mortified. <gasps> what are you saying? What's, what's happening? And I, and I told her, and then she just burst out laughing. And I'm like, what? She goes, Dale, you'd be dead if that were the case. <laughs> and, like, and then I said, Mom, how many times did I fall, you know? <clears throat> and so, you know, our, our purpose changes. And then, and then during that age, you're, you as a parent, you're trying to survive. You know, like, what's happening? What's going on? And so we're, we go through all of these you know, uh, upheavals in our life, and we're trying to figure things out and do the best uh, that we, we can. I know for, for us, as we've been raising our kids, especially when they were younger, the odd ages, for some reason, were the most difficult for us. We, we were just like, oh, no, it's an odd year, you know. Here, here it is. But you know what? The Lord brings us through, and, and it's, it's good, and, and, and it's great. But at the same time, during those stages, we're like refiguring things out. And this happens through all stages of life, through trying to make it. You go into junior high, and then you go into um, your senior high years, and then you potentially go to work, or you go to college, or you, you, you do the things that, that you know to do, and you're trying to find something that you fit into and, you know, sometimes people get, this is where people get stuck into the, the good old days, right? Or something, the past and what they were just super good at, and they just, that, that was their thing. And they're more like a, uh, like a double-sided hammer, you know? It's like they felt like this is the only thing that, that they are good for. And it's a very dangerous thing for any of us to put all of our value, all of our identity, all of our things into a person or a thing that we do. And, and I, I think it's pretty common that, that we do that. And many times in our life, I believe that God is, it's kind of, he bring, we go through a rough patch or a rough time and he brings us back to him where we go, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, I got things, I got things out of whack. And I, I know when I, when I first got married, 
I went through that. I, I, I realized that I had begun to put my wife onto a pedestal, and I began to put so much emphasis on there that I began to lose my focus on who Christ was and who I was created to be in Christ. And that's why I believe that this is so uh, important for us today to talk about. So one definition of purpose uh, that I really liked is the reason for which something is done or created for, or for which something exists. Something um, that they're created for, or for which something exists. Uh, an article um, that was, uh, it was a national survey in 2016 from 18 to 24-year-olds. And the report was uh, looking at purpose, and, and that a clear purpose in life is a big part of being a real, in quotation, adult. To be a real adult, this age group felt like they had to have purpose, and without that purpose, they couldn't actually be successful. And the problem is, most young people don't feel like they've found a sense of purpose. More than 86% of young adults say that making decisions in line with their purpose makes them an adult. And according to the national survey, but only 43% say they have a clear purpose of what they want in life. So looking at what they want is now equal to their value and their purpose. 36% say their career path aligns with life purpose, and only 30% know why they are here. So a professor at the University of Wisconsin concludes, this study isn't good news, she said. Coasting is existing, not thriving. The majority of young adults who say they don't have a clear picture of what they want in life also say they are existing but not thriving, while those with purpose more often say they are thriving. So again, these young people were putting in all of their value and their purpose based on what they were doing and where they were going. Now again, I, I, I'm, I don't want to come against this as, as saying that this is all bad. Clearly, when we get good at something, when you practice, when you have a hobby, obviously there's going to be purpose found in that, and that is okay. The problem is, is when the purpose is everything. That's when it gets out of line, and that's when, when that falls away or something that you want to do. Like, for example, I, just, I said to my wife, I said, honey, I've got bad news. And she goes, she goes I, I don't want to deal with bad news right now. I said, well, I got bad news. I said, I was just talking to somebody at the church, and I don't know if I can snowboard anymore. I don't, I don't know if I should snowboard anymore. I just broke my ankle. I've got a plate in my ankle, people, okay? That was for a different reason. <laughs> if you don't know why, that's okay. But I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that again. I don't know if I should be snowboarding anymore. This is bad news. This is bad news. But you know, it's like you, you kind of have this, this self-identity and these things that you do and they kind of create who you are, but at the same time, what do you do when it's gone? And this brings us back to who we were designed to be and who we were created for. So I, I'm, we're going to be going to scripture here, but I, I put that at the end instead of the beginning this time for a reason, and I, I think you'll see why. So when you're hired for a job, you're given a job description, a purpose, a duty to fulfill. When you go to school, you're being trained, you're being educated to gain understanding, which will make you employable, hopefully, right? Set you up to be an effective participant in our society and economy. 
preferably a taxpayer, a citizen with an active part in our society, in our city. So I believe that many of the problems that we have today, like the study identified, is in our society, or people in general, lack purpose. Christianity teaches that each person has immeasurable value. This is why Christians have historically been pro-life. Why? Well, where did it begin? In Rome, Christians would, I'm going to be careful here because we do have some young ears here, but Christians would literally run the streets of picking babies off the streets that were left and discarded. Why? Pagans looked at life much like a baby's life, a human life, equated to like an animal. If it wasn't for their benefit, if the father of the house did not approve of this child, it would just be left out. The Christians began to run the streets and pick up these babies. This is the history of our faith, friends. And this is what they did. No value, but in Christianity, we look at life as value. Christ created us, created in his image, which gives us immeasurable value. And you know what that means? That means that you have to have purpose. You have to have purpose. You matter to God, therefore you, therefore they, those people should also matter to us. If they matter to God, they matter to us. This is one reason I say every Sunday, the most important thing to us is your relationship with Jesus. Because then, the way that we look at every person, enemy, frenemy, whatever enemy, whatever, (laughs) we look at them and we say, you know what? I have trouble with you, but you know what? The most important thing is your relationship with Jesus. And that's how we look at everybody that comes in these doors, and that's how we should treat every person, is that the most important thing is their relationship with Jesus. I believe that everything in life hinges on this, which is where purpose and meaning are found. Everything that we do at church should be brought through that lens. Are we glorifying God? Is this event having the opportunity to bring people to Christ? Are people being discipled? Are people being brought into fellowship with one another? And if if it's not into those four categories, I have to ask the question, what are we doing? are, Are we just some kind of a club? They have to fall into these categories. And for many of us, I think we assign what we do and how well we do it with our sense of value and purpose, which is okay to a degree, but not if it gets off-kiltered. Again, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists is purpose. So we have to start then at the beginning. At the beginning. For a Christian, purpose begins in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Your purpose for which something exists. God created you and I to be in relationship with him. 
He didn't create just to create. He created man and woman specifically to have relationship with him. And that is why we are the only beings created in the image of God. The concept of being created by God who loves you, wanted you, designed you in his own image. The imago Dei is what it's called. Screams purpose. If you come from this perspective or viewpoint, this worldview of understanding, you only have purpose, and your value is incalculable outside of what you can do, outside of your giftings, outside of your relationships, you still have immeasurable value. If this is your worldview, if you believe that you were created in the image of God, how you treat people matters. How you talk about people matters. What you do when nobody is around matters. What you do with your thought life matters. Where you go with your feet matters. Where you spend your money matters. Who you spend time with matters. Who you listen to matters. Why? Because God created and what we do reflects what we believe. What we do reflects what we believe. Now, if you come from the perspective of an atheistic viewpoint, if you come from a perspective of there is no God, and you are an absolute miracle of a cosmic accident, that you believe that it was the one explosion that didn't destroy things it created, which we're still trying to figure that logic out, of all time that created something instead of destroying it, right? And you believe that in tens of millions of years that, that these little organisms crawled out of some goo and, and eventually through tens of millions of years you became an intelligent being. There's really, and, and you can, after the service, you can talk to me about this and, and you can challenge me on this, but really, if that is your belief, the end result the end result of this thinking and believing is uh, Darwinism and where Nietzsche ended up with, with saying that God is dead is really the survival of the fittest, okay? And so if you sit on, on that throne of the survival of the fittest, you have to look at the wars will never cease because the strong will survive, right? And they're going to constantly be coming. There's going to be many more holocausts to come. Well, why should it matter? Right? I mean, you think of war reparations that we've tried to pay people back for taking over. Why? The strong won. If we're really going to buy into this, and if we're really going to use this logic and reasoning, that's the truth. That's the end result. And I, I want to challenge you, if this is where you're at and you're really functioning in this thinking, is I want you to look at every atheistic culture and I want you to look at their treatment of human beings. Right now, if you go to China, there are camps filled of Muslims and of Christians by the thousands because they're trying to keep religion out of their country. And what they're doing in these camps is horrific. Happening right now. This is 
the way and the result. So maybe you can say, well, there's a lot of great things. There's really, I know people who are atheists and who are doing really great things and are really nice people. A- absolutely, I'm not, I'm not coming against that at all. But let me tell you the benefit of what they have right now, and this is the same thing in Europe, is they are on the foundation of Judeo-Christianity faith. They have come out of the Judeo-Christian faith and understanding of the Ten Commandments and how you treat people. And so they are trying to take that no-God mindset, no future, nothing. There's nothingness when you, when you die. And they're taking that and they're trying to put the values of the Christian faith there and trying to combine it. And that doesn't work. It, it'll work for some decades. We're seeing the fruit of that right now. But it, we're going to end up just like the pagans, where it doesn't matter. Those lives don't matter. Those people don't matter. They're not doing anything. They don't matter. Why? Because life doesn't matter. If there is no tomorrow, what will stop you from doing what you want to today? Think about that. If there is no tomorrow, what will stop you from doing what you want to today? What you believe is what you think, and that will direct your purpose in life. You were created by God on purpose for many purposes, and some purposes you may not even realize until you're in heaven. There are people's lives that you have impacted. There are things that you've given into. There are things and people that you've helped and spoken life over that you have no idea of the eternal impacts until you are standing before God. Paul talks about this a lot. When, when he says, when you have given into this, when you have sowed into this ministry, you, are, you take part in the fruit of what is happening. There are benefits that we may not see tangibly, but they are there. Now, in the Bible, David is the king that everybody strives to be like. God said of David that he was a man after the very heart of God. Even though he made some huge mistakes, and we're not going into that today, and and really, some of his mistakes cost a ton of lives while he was king. But he still found his way to God. And here's a quick rundown, because I want to get you to to where uh, we're going to be jumping to in 1 Samuel is that Saul was the very first king of Israel. First, um, Israel was led by God, and then he would raise up prophets for times that it needed to be corrected. But Israel was crying out and saying, hey, we want to be like all the other nations. And God's heart was, he was, he was kind of broken. He was like, seriously? We've been so successful, and now you want a man to represent you. And God said, he said, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be enslaved, you're going to be working, you're going to be taxed hard, all, and it's going to go to him, and it's going to go to this kingdom. But still the people are shouting, we want a king. So um, what, what Saul did is he was as king, and, and he starts out, it's super humble. At one point when he's called up to be king, he's literally hiding behind the baggage. He's hiding behind a whole bunch of suitcase, and he's too embarrassed But the prophet calls him up, and everybody cheers and and ready for this new king. It didn't take long before this king got arrogant, he got haughty, and he sinned before God. God told him, he said, they were in war, and he said, I want you to destroy all of the Amalekites. 
You have to destroy everything that they own. You have to get rid of these people. They are going to be your end. God knows what's going to happen. And instead, Saul kept the king. He kept all of these riches. And God was so angry that he said, I'm, I'm done with you. You have disobeyed. And so at this point, the prophet Samuel was directed by God, and he said, stop mourning for that King Saul. I already put my spirit on another, and you need to go and anoint that person. And so this, this process begins to happen. Samuel has to find a way to sneak out from Saul so Saul doesn't kill him. And he says he's going to go worship somewhere, but he goes and he finds this young man, David, and I'm, I'm shortening this up by a whole lot here, and he anoints him. And so this young shepherd boy, the youngest of, of this big family, he didn't look the part, but it, the Bible tells us that God looks at the heart where man looks at the outside. And this young man began, with the Spirit of God on him, began to do amazing things. He's invited into the king's courtship because now with the Spirit of God on him, when he plays music, an evil spirit leaves King Saul. And so he needs this young man there to have ease in his life. There's another time where his dad, Jesse, sends him to go feed his brothers that are at war, and Goliath is there. The Spirit of God is on David, and he feels just this anger that this Philistine, he calls him a dog, would dare, dare to say anything about the people and the God of Israel. And so he goes and he kills him. Over and over again, David is now being used by God. This, God, this guy that's with no money and no worth is all of a sudden, God is continuing to raise him up. Things are looking good. This guy has got purpose all around him. Eventually, he marries the king's daughter. But then when they're going through the courts and they're going through the streets, people are no longer singing how great King Saul is. They're singing about how great David is. And all the people that he is conquered and how amazing he is. And Saul begins to get angry. He begins to get jealous. And it gets so bad that at one point he is, he is on the run. And he's on the run for a long time. And he goes and his, um, Saul's son, Jonathan, who is David's best friend, says, hey, you need to get out of here because my dad wants you dead. And so David is, is on the run and he goes to this, um, he goes to one of the synagogues there, and there's some holy death, uh, bread that has been dedicated to the Lord. And David says, listen, I'm so hungry. I, I'm, I'm not unclean. I can have this. And they think, well, it's, it's David. We, we can trust him. And then, and then David says, and do you have a sword? I'm doing the king's business. Do you have anything? And he happens to have, he happens to have Goliath's sword right there. And so he gets food. He gets the sword, and then he goes and he escapes. And that's where we are at 1 Samuel chapter 22, starting at verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave at Aldalum, where his brothers and his father's household heard about. They went, down there, um, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Okay, so his entourage is beginning to grow in a cave. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left 
them with the king of Moab and stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. His family is now on the run because their lives are also in jeopardy. David has the spirit of God on him. He is God's anointed one and he is hiding with this ragtag band of indebted fighters. Boy, that sounds like purpose. Boy, that sounds like a really great identity to be holding on to. You're in this cave. Your family's now in danger. You're on the run. Where's his purpose? My guess is that he's questioning a lot of things at this point. But could you go to, um, I think it's verse 3, please. It says, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you? And here's the point that I, I want us to look at. Until I learn what God will do for me. Why is this important? Why do we find purpose? How do we find purpose in difficult life situations? David says, I need to learn what God will do for me. Or he's saying, I need to discover what God's purpose is here. So he got his family to a safe place to figure things out, and in his seeking of God, a prophet came to him and told him to flee, so he goes to this forest of Hereth. Wouldn't it be great if we knew how David felt about this? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we knew how he went to the Lord in this situation? Just to kind of have that, like, just kind of behind the curtain understanding? Well, the good news is we do. If you have your Bible, Psalms 57, I have it here for us as well. A Psalm of David. Have mercy on me, my God, and have mercy on me, for I take refuge in you. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God, most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, wake, harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. When is the last time that you were being chased down and life was coming against you and you were able to say, be exalted, O God, above all of the heavens? This is training for us people. This is direction for us on what we do in difficult situations. So number one, he took refuge in God. We see this in Psalms 91, being underneath the wings of God. It's an amazing picture. Two, he cried out to God. He allowed God to be the one to rebuke those 
who pursued him. Now, if you're anything like me, now, First and Second Samuel are among my favorite books of the entire Bible. I absolutely love them. There's so much there. But man, I tell you what, I get so ticked off at David because he had so many times where he could have killed King Saul. So many times. King Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him. And David, at one point, Saul is relieving himself in a cave. It's true. That's what he was doing. It's really, I'm telling you, it's a really great read. And David goes and cuts a piece of his robe in the cave. And then he goes and, and later on when Saul comes out after he did his business, he goes, look it. Look what I could have done to you. Look how close to you I was. And I'm thinking, dude, off the guy. I mean, come on, you know, and over and over again. And, and so it, what's so interesting is he writes this and he actually follows through with what he said. Allow God to deal with it. And he did. It just took a while. Number four, he exalted and praised God in his distress over and over again. So what? What do we do now with this message? We need to rediscover purpose or, re, or discovering purpose in Christ potentially for the first time. David seemed to have purpose everywhere that he turned. He was receiving blessings over and over again, but then that blessing began to dry up. Things got more difficult. It seemed like God had failed him. The king of Israel and his army were after him, and this did not seem or feel like this was the kind of purpose he signed up for. But here's what he did. He went to God with his worry. He cried out to God, and he worshiped. So next time you are struggling, next time you are in despair, before you call up a bunch of people, before you go complain to somebody, I want you to get in your car and go for a drive around the block. I want you to walk around the block, get on your bike. I want you to, if you've got a quiet room, Maybe you have to pretend like you're going to the bathroom. That's the only quiet you have in your home in a week. I don't know. We've been there. You find that place and you cry out to God. And you say, God, I am struggling right now. This is really hard. I don't know what to do. And worship him. Use the, the three words that we sang today. Lord, I exalt thee. Heavenly Father, I exalt thee. I worship you. I lift up your name right now in my unclean bathroom. Wherever, wherever it is. Next, he sought godly counsel. The prophet from Gad came and he spoke and he said, listen, dude, you need to keep out. You need to get out of here. Saul's coming. And he got direction from counsel. And then this one's going to seem kind of funny. I'm going to call it wait, but keep moving. Wait, but keep moving. Psalms 27 says, wait on the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. Waiting doesn't necessarily mean you have to be stationary. Now, if you've ever lost a job before or you needed a job, what do you do? You pray. And you believe, Lord, I believe you have something and hopefully better than the last one, right? That's our prayer usually. Lord, we want an increase. But what are you doing? You're making phone calls. 
You're, you're going online. You're, you're checking things out. You're seeing what's available. You're waiting on the Lord, but you're still moving. If you're like me, being patient and waiting for God to move can be absolutely excruciating. But wait on the Lord and do what you know to do. David said, I need to learn what God will do for me. Think of that. That's simple, simple statement. It's in quotation in uh, 1 Samuel 22. It's directly what he said. I need to learn what God will do for me. If you are in this place of you, your identity, you feel like is clouded, who you are, your purpose in life, wait, wait on the Lord, but keep moving. Wait, but keep moving. If, sometimes I get ahead of myself. If you're feeling stuck or feel as though that you have a lack of purpose, I just want to say stopping is not the answer. Stopping and not doing anything is never the answer. Continue to move forward. Continue to trust and obey God. Find places to go, people to serve. In so doing, I believe that God will deliver you like he delivered David later on when you continue to read this. Why? Because God's spirit is also on you. When I, when I read this, it's such a reminder of the cross because at this time in the Old Testament, God's spirit was on one or a very few. And the cross, what the cross did is it broke that. It says the veil tore. That's the holy of holies where the presence of God was. It tore where no longer was the spirit of God meant for the high priest and for those. It was meant for all of us. The spirit of God is on you. The spirit of God is on you. We are living in a time where people desperately need to hear that they have purpose. Just that study that I read earlier shows 30% feel like they even know what their purpose is. A sense of belonging. But this is more than a purpose of doing something important or big, but a much more valuable purpose. Our value is found in a relationship with Christ. And here at Life Assembly, this is where we direct people. Our identity, our value, our purpose must be rooted in who Christ is, and the knowledge that you were created and designed by God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. It doesn't say your purposes. According to his purposes, you were designed to be in worship and relationship with Jesus Christ? Is your purpose found in Christ? Is your purpose, is your identity found in Christ today? Would you please stand? So I, I opened with the two things that I was, I was hoping to be able to address today. Number one, general purpose in life. If you were created by God, which I believe you were, 
you only have purpose. Your life only can have meaning. And secondly, purpose in life, when we feel as though we have none, is that this is where we look at what David did. On the run, his world is collapsing around him, and what does he do? He gets on his knees, and he cries out to God. He seeks counsel. He does everything that he knows to do for God to deliver him, and God does. And so I want to encourage some of you today, if you're in this place of, man, I, man, I am just, I feel like I'm lacking. I just, I feel like I have no purpose right now. I just don't know what I'm doing. Cry out to God today. Cry out to him. Praise him. Wait, but keep moving. Wait, but keep moving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come before you in the name of your son Jesus. And Lord, we just... We lift up your name. Lord, we exalt who you are. As, as David said in his Psalms over and over again, I exalt thee. Lord, we lift up your name. We exalt your name above the heavens and above the earth. Heavenly Father, I pray that we put our value in who we are based on who you are. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.